Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Wonderful, he is so good. Amazing. All right, well, we are going to just jump straight into the, the message this morning. Pastor Shane started a new series last week called Different. And this series is talking about the book of First Peter. Now, I'm just going to do a quick reminder of when we talk about the book of First Peter, what we are talking about. So the book of First Peter was written by, we believe, the Apostle Peter. Jesus was Apostle Peter, written to a whole bunch of churches. And it was written during a time of great persecution. Um, who here's heard of Nero? If you were here last week, you would have heard of Nero. He was not a good dude. He was, I mean, a lot of the Roman emperors were crazy. He was crazy. I mean, he didn't, I don't think he like made a horse one of his senators. That's a crazy thing another Roman emperor did. But he was pretty crazy. And he um, basically burnt down Rome to build an amphitheater. We're pretty sure he was responsible for it. And then he used the Christians as a scapegoat for it. And it started a huge wave of persecution against the Christians. Um, And it was brutal. Like it wasn't like they were being shot to death. It was like they were being put in the ring and ripped apart by animals or used as human torches. Like brutal, brutal, brutal suffering and torture and all of this that was going on under Nero. And so Peter is writing a book to people under this harsh, harsh persecution. And this is like a big deal, right? You want to get it right. Have you guys ever, like, you know, I'm sure all of us have been friends with people who are suffering and who are going through hard times. And it can be really hard to know what to say. Like, you know, often there really isn't a lot to say. We just say, oh, no, I'm there, I'm with you. But these people were suffering and they needed encouragement. And Peter had this letter. And these letters cost, in like in today's money, they would have cost like a few thousand dollars to send because the cost of the materials and the travel to deliver it and everything, each of these letters to send them, it wasn't just like sending an email. So he's like got this small amount of paper and he's got to sit down and he's going to say, what am I going to say? How am I going to encourage these churches that are suffering, that are going through persecution? How am I going to encourage them in the Lord? And so last week we talked about having a different faith in trials. Pastor Shane said that, you know, a faith that has been tested is a faith that, that can be trusted. He spoke about how when we go through trials, our faith is tested and our faith grows. And that's what Peter was speaking about in the first part of this book. But today we're going to be speaking about having different values in an unholy culture having different values in an unholy culture. And I think most of us would be able to look around and see that there's plenty of ways in which our world at the moment is unholy. But do you know what? We do not live in the only unholy time in all of history. We maybe don't even live in the most unholy time in all of history. It depends how you want to think about it. I don't know. But there have been plenty of brutal, difficult, sinful times in history. And the time in Rome when Christianity was born was one of them. Literally, like, Sunday afternoon, oh, Dave, what should we do with our non-existent children when we have children? What are we going to do this afternoon? Oh, you know what we should do? We should go to the Colosseum and watch people get crucified for fun and eat some food while we do it. And then we'll watch gladiators fight to the death. And that would be really fun. Like, can you imagine? Like, this is what people did. This was their entertainment. Like, that's a pretty sick brutal sort of society. Wait, for fun, you go and watch people beaten and crucified and ripped to death. This was an unholy culture. And it wasn't just that. There was so many, there was a lot of sin, a lot of corruption going on in this society. And so one of the things that Peter speaks to them about is being holy, is being holy even in an unholy culture. 
And so I'm going to read out um, this passage. It's 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 16. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And it's like, oh my gosh, Peter, they're having a hard time. You've got to go easy on them. Like, I don't know about you, but when I've had a hard day, when I get to the end of the day and I've had a hard day, I'm just like, oh, I'll just eat a packet of chips for dinner. That's fine. I've had a hard day. Like, I just, it's fine. Or, oh, I'll just watch Netflix. It's been a hard day. Or, I'll just, you know, just take it easy on myself. I'm just going to eat some chocolate. It's been a hard day. And so you just kind of like, excuse it. And, and when Peter wrote to these people who were going through intense suffering, he didn't write to them and say, you know, just go easy. And, you know, you're suffering. You're having a hard time. Just go easy. He said to them, he said, you guys, in your suffering, in the corrupt world that you're in, you need to be holy. And you can bet that if better advice to them was to be happy, to just let go, do whatever, do whatever was comforting and comfortable, that's the advice that God would have given them through Peter. God wasn't giving them bad advice or wanting to make their lives worse. And so there's something important here that God is calling these people, even in the toughest of circumstances, even in the corruptest of cultures, to be holy. God's highest calling for you and for me is not our happiness, but our holiness. God's highest calling for you is not your happiness, but your holiness. Oh, sorry, there's two slides on there. We can take that down. Um, the theology of happiness leads us to justify sin. We can be like, look, I know it's sin technically, but it would make me so happy. I know it's technically not right to watch these things on my computer in my bedroom alone, but it would make me so happy, so it's, gonna, so it's okay. And I know it's not technically right to get raging drunk, but I've had a terrible day, and it would make me so happy, so that makes it okay. Doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't God want me to be happy and comfortable? If we believe that God wants us to be happy above all else, or that the ultimate purpose of life is self-fulfillment, then we look at pain and suffering and lack and we think this can't be what God wants. This can't be what God wants for me. If we think the main point of life is to have lives that are happy and self-fulfilled, then we, might, we will think this can't be what God wants for me. I need to get out of this however I can. I know God said that, but he doesn't understand my circumstances. This is what's going to make me fulfilled. This is what's going to make me happy and so I need to do it. And we can risk worshipping idols of pleasure, money, and comfort above worshipping a holy God. And this is what Peter had to warn these people. And you would think that these people who were suffering for their faith and who were dying for their faith, you would think that they would already have been, you know, walking pretty different holy lives or they wouldn't have had to be reminded of this. But I think this is a reminder we all need. We need to walk in holiness because God is holy and he calls us to holiness. And I think this, this is something, I, I, I think that one of the reasons that we battle with this so much is that our world has been very influenced by the ideas of humanism. Have you guys heard of humanism? Yeah? So I want to read out of the Humanist Manifest, Manifesto, written in 1933. 
And um, it's alarming how much of, it's, it's, it's a good thing to Google. Go home and Google the Humanist Manifesto. If you're in Greenhouse tomorrow night, don't bother doing it. We're going to look at it tomorrow night. But I encourage you to look at the Humanist Manifesto from 1933 because some people sat in a room and sat down and thought, look, religion is done, religion's over. How should we reshape the world on the other side of this? And, um, they, and, and so many of the things that were written in the 1930s so long ago have become true and have shaped the way that we talk and have shaped our culture. And there's one of them in particular that I think is relevant here. So this is Humanist Manifesto, written in 1933, really, really long time ago. This is point number eight. So that slide that we brought up before, that was two things in one. You can put that one back on the screen. There we go. So, religious humanism considers the complete realization of human personality to be the end of man's life and seeks its development and fulfillment in the here and now. This is the explanation of the humanist's social passion. So I know that's like a bit of like difficult jargon, but basically what it's saying is humanism, the idea of humanism is that the main point of life is for me to be self-fulfilled, is for me to be as me as I possibly can be, to be totally fulfilled and to be happy. That is the main end and goal of life. And we see this everywhere. We see this in Disney movies. We see this everywhere that so much of what is being taught in our culture at the moment is this worldview that we need to be self-fulfilled. We need to be truly us. You be like, you do you, girl. Like, whatever suits, like, you just be you to the most that you can be. And that's the main point of things. And if it makes you happy, do it. And that's the main thing that we're going for. And we don't want any restriction on our freedom. We don't want any restriction on anything that stops us from doing what we want to do. So the call to holiness is really difficult because sometimes the call, often the call to holiness is a call to not act out of every instinct and desire we have inside of us. The call to holiness is to realize that we actually have a sinful nature and that some of our desires are not right and not holy, do not lead to what is good and flourishing and right. And I think that many Christians, like I think on the one hand, as Christians, we need to guard against that, against believing that, you know, we need to be fulfilled in life. But the other thing I think we need to guard against is what some call Christian humanism, where we're like, oh yeah, it's all suffering here on this life, but the point of the gospel is to make us happy in heaven. The point of life is still happiness, it's just happiness in the next life, not on this life. And I want to um, mention an idea. So this idea is from a sermon called Ten Shekels and a Shirt by Paris Reedhead. Has anybody heard this sermon? So this really old classic sermon. I saw a couple hands there. Yeah, Ten Shekels and a Shirt by Paris Reedhead. And he, it's a fiery sermon. It's long and it's fiery and it's old school, but it's really cool. And he asks this question. He says, is God an end or is he a means? Is the, glor is the glory of God the goal of our life? Or do we use God as a tool to our own self-fulfillment and our own happiness? Is God the end? Is God the goal? Is God what we're aiming for in life, to have God, to be with him? Or are we using God to be self-fulfilled? Are we using God to be happy because that's humanism? That's not the gospel. Paris Reedhead, I think he's speaking to a group of missionaries when he gives this message. And he tells a story that just brought it home to me in a crazy way. He said that he went on missions because he was heartbroken over the fact that there were people who didn't know the gospel. 
which is very noble, and I think we all should be heartbroken over that. And he was heartbroken over that, and he said that he went out to, um, to preach to and to speak to people who didn't know the gospel because he thought if only they knew the gospel, then they would know Jesus. But he went out to preach to people who had never heard the gospel, and he said that what he found was that they were sinful people. They were living, like God had revealed himself to them in some degree. He reveals himself to all of us in some degree. And these people were sinful and they didn't receive the message that he had given them. And he was angry and he said, God, I came out here to help these people. I came out here to give them a better life. God, I came out here to tell them the gospel so that they could have a better life here and then a better life and go to heaven. God, why? Why is this not working? Why are they not turning to me? They are so much more, I mean, like I'm sure he knew he was sinful as well, but he was shocked to find that, they, like, that the people he was preaching to were so sinful as well. And he says that he was praying this to God and God prays, like God responded to him. He felt this was God, what God spoke back to him. God said, I didn't send you to Africa for the sake of the heathen. So heathen just means people who don't know the gospel in this context. I sent you to Africa for my sake. They deserved hell, but I love them. And I endured the, the agonies of hell for them. I didn't send you out there for them. I sent you out there for me. Do I not deserve the reward of my suffering? Don't I deserve those for whom I died? And this is the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is that God is worthy of our lives. Even if we lived our whole lives for God and went to hell, like he's worthy of us. We don't live for God to go to heaven. We don't live for God as a means to our own happiness and our own fulfillment. We live for God because he suffered and died. He is worthy of our lives. And that's why we evangelize and that's why we preach. And I think being compelled by compassion for the lost is a hundred, like, and I'm sure there's people in here who don't know God. Like, you know, being compelled by compassion, like that is a hundred percent right. But if at the end of the day, all we're about here is trying to make people happier, then we're missing the point. The call of the gospel is the glory of God. It is not humanism, and we need to guard against humanism in all its forms, both normal humanism and Christian humanism that uses God as a means, if not for a better life on earth, then at least for a better life in heaven. That is not the point. We are not humanists. That is not the gospel. And this is what Peter talks about later on in this chapter. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. He said, you weren't bought with something cheap and dispensable like silver and gold. You were bought with what is of most price. You were bought with the blood of God. You were bought with the blood of God. God died for you. And we say Jesus died for you, and that's true. But like God, God himself bled and died for us, and we were bought with that price. And so we live in holiness because Jesus is worthy of it. He is worthy of the, of the, um, of the result of the sacrifice that he made. He loves us, and we, our lives need to be his because he is worthy of them. In Hebrews 12 too, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And um, I believe that there's lots of things that were probably the joy set before Jesus in that moment, you know, being reunited with the Father and going, like, you know, the redemption of all humanity. But I also believe the joy set before him was you and me. He suffered and died for the joy of having you and me restored to relationship with him. He loves us. 
He loves us and he wants to be restored to us. We were the joy that was set before him. I want to wrap up with two thoughts. Number one, in lives of holiness and lives that bring glory to God, there is great joy. He is a good father. I believe there is the most joy and the most happiness to be found on a path of following God, but we need to make sure that's not the main point. God himself, he is happy. He is full of delight. God created puppies and tacos and flowers and he lo- like he's full of delight and fun. You know, he created kids that love to play. He, he's not trying to give us suffering, difficult lives, but sometimes we go through suffering and we need to make sure that the point of our lives isn't just being happy all the time. C.S. Lewis says, you can't get second things by putting them first. You can get second things only by putting first things first first. Happiness and fulfillment are second things. The glory of God is first things. We will never get happiness and fulfillment by pursuing them as our main goal. But I believe that when we pursue the glory of God, when we seek God to know him, we often find those things thrown into the bargain. And if not happiness, at least joy. Um, That makes joy sound worse than happiness. Happiness and joy. Always joy and sometimes also happiness. You know what I mean. Um, (laughs) Apologies. Um, But we can't be Christian humanists. It doesn't work, and it's also not what the gospel is about. Sometimes when I'm um, having a hard time, I, you know, I feel like, God, I'm serving you, and this job that I've got, it's never hard, because obviously I work in a church, and it's always wonderful working in a church. It's just always so easy. But just imagine if sometimes I had a hard day working in a church. I'd be like, God, I feel like I'm serving you and it's just hard and I'm just having a hard time with it. And, or even not just my church, whatever it is. I'm like, God, it'd be so much easier if I was doing this. And I sit myself down and I say, Rachel, you are not going to have more joy by being disobedient to the Lord. This is as good as it's right now. Okay? So suck it up. You're not going to be more happy by being disobedient. You're not going to be more happy by walking away from the God. You're, from God. You're not going to be more happy by being rebellious. So you need to sit in this. And that's, that's, that's the speech I give to myself in those moments. And I have found it really helps because I find that going through those moments, so like the joy does, like our experience of joy comes back. You know, those moments are passing. But if we use moments like that as excuses to compromise and to walk away, then I think that there's hard consequences from that. And I don't actually believe that's what leads to joy in the end. I'll get keys up. I'm really close to finishing. I want to, so yeah, so I guess like God calls us to holiness, but we often find that everything else is thrown into the bargain. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. If we seek God, we get everything else thrown into the bargain. But we need to make sure that we're not doing it for that. We do it because God is worthy of our lives and he's worthy of the lives of the lost. And so how do we live this out practically? It can be really hard to live in holiness and to have different values when we just feel that we're so different from the world. Especially if you're somebody who has a lot of friends who aren't Christians and friends who aren't churched. If you going to school or going to uni or in your job or whatever, in your mother's group. And there's a lot of people who don't know God. And the way that you live your life is so weird to them. Like, what do you mean you're not having sex while you're dating? Like, what are you talking about? Or like, why? Why won't you come out and do drugs with us? Like, why? Like, like you know, when we have these stands, or, or when there's like gossip going on and you're like, 
removing yourself from that situation. You know, why? Like, like, like we can feel so different and it can be so hard. And I think there can often be judgment on us for being for having these values. And it can be difficult. Like I was speaking with some girls at Youth on Friday night and they were saying like, you know, if you don't post inappropriate pictures on Instagram, then there's criticism for not posting them. You know, like, they're like, you can't win. If you post them, you get criticized. If you don't post them, you, you get criticized. Like, what do I do? You know, and it can feel like that. We just keep getting criticized for, we can feel like we get criticized no matter what we do. And I want to point us to one of our church values. It says this, it says, we serve an audience of one. I think it should be on the screen. We serve an audience of one. We aim to live motivated by love and obedience to God because He is worthy of our lives and the lives of the lost. Do you have embarrassing videos from when you were a kid? I have many. I don't know, embarrassing slash cute. I think I'm still young enough that I'm like, oh, it's embarrassing. But I'm sure when I'm 40, I'll be like, oh, it's cute. Um, Anyway, there's just all these videos of me like doing performances for mum and dad. And for the sake of the analogy, we'll pretend it's just my father. And I'm doing these dances and these singing and I'm, you know, this song that's like sin, 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 sin. And I'm like stomping around about how bad sin is. And then I'm flipping off the couch and doing all these different things and doing my performance for my dad. And at the end of the performance, if my father thought that my performance was great, that's all I wanted. I wasn't concerned if nobody else wanted to come see my terrible dance performance in my lounge room because I was doing my dance performance for an audience of one. And if he was stoked, then that was enough for me. And I think we need to live our lives that way. We need to live our lives with an audience of one. If we live our lives in such a way that the whole world is clapping, but God is not, he is not pleased, then that is a loss. And if we live our lives in such a way that the whole world is booing, but God is pleased, then we have lived our lives well. We need to live for an audience of one. And that is easier said than done, but I find that it comes with practice. So as we wrap up, I just want to invite everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads. And I just want to give you a moment with God, like if you at home as well. I want to give you a moment with God to sort of ask God, God, are there ways in which I am seeing Christianity as humanism? Are there ways in which I am seeking you for my own fulfillment rather than seeking you for you? Or God, are there ways in which I'm not living in holiness that you want to convict me of? I just want to encourage you to all of us, you know, to wait on God and invite God to come and convict us of anything that we need to grow in or anything we need to change. Jesus, We just want to say that we're sorry for when we use you as a means rather than an end. You are worthy of our lives. The purpose of our lives is not happiness or fulfillment. And God, you're a good father. You so often throw that into the bargain. But God, we know that in an unholy culture, we need to not be pursuing that. We need to be pursuing you, God. God, you are worthy of us. Even if we lived our lives and went to hell, you would still be worthy of us, Lord God. 
Help us to live our lives before you in such a way that you are honoured, that you are pleased and that you are proud. And God, give us the conviction to live our lives that way, even when it's difficult. God, help us when we have fear of man, when it's so hard to live in obedience to you because there is mockery for it, there is ostracization for it, or whatever it is, Lord God. Help us to live with conviction in that place. Help us to live for you for an audience of one. And God, just like the people who Paul was writing to, they were suffering, they were going through a hard time as you said this word to us. God, may we not slacken off on this on the days when it's difficult, on the days when we're suffering, on the days when it's so easy to maybe fall back into old patterns for comfort's sake, Lord God. Even in difficult times, even in persecution, you call us to holiness. Walking in disobedience will never lead to better things for us, Lord God. So help us to walk in obedience and conviction even in the hardest days, even in the hardest times, Lord God. You were so good to us. You were so kind. And it is our joy to live lives that follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.